Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers. It is blowing hooly outside and uh, I am isolating. Guess what? I had two, uh, two positive lateral flows yesterday. So I was feeling a bit ropey yesterday morning. I don't know if you could tell. I didn't look great. <laughs> didn't sound great. I listened to myself. I thought, gosh, you sound a bit depressing. So hopefully we'll rectify that this morning. I'm still waiting to hear back from my PCR, but hey, hey-ho. Enforced isolation. Uh, I was listening to um, a message by Pastor Richard Vermbrand, who was in prison in Romania under communism for 14 years underground 30 meet, uh 30 feet 30 meters underground and he never saw the light of day for 14 years he never saw another person other than the prison officers he never saw a woman he never saw a child he never saw color he never had someone speak to him other than the brainwashing for 15 hours often in a day where he, they would put him in this room and just tell him nobody loves you it's all over. <laughs> For 14 years, man alive. So if you're complaining about isolation, maybe you should listen to Richard Vermbrand. Honestly, I could not, uh, just unbelievable. Anyway, what an incredible man. And thank God for people like him. Uh, good morning, Fran. Good morning, Colin. Captain, oh yeah, Captain Scorky. <laughs> good morning, Kathy. And everyone else. Uh, listen, we're on chapter 16 of Genesis today. Good morning, Johnny in New Zealand. Great to see No, hold on, hold on. I got it wrong, didn't I? Tasmania. Uh, it's great to see you guys. And uh, listen, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our homes again today. Holy Spirit, come speak to us. Make all of this ancient history of Abraham and Sarai not just ancient history, not just information that we can improve our knowledge of Bible trivia on, but let this be your living word that speaks to our hearts today and changes us on the inside, radically overhauls our values, everything about us, Lord Jesus, by your mighty power. Amen. So cool. Good morning, Tim. Uh, so this is a this I have to say is the chapter of plot twists. It is a really really pivotal story, not just in the particular lives of these people that are involved in the story. Hi Jazzy, um, but they are. This is a massive massive plot twist which we are still seeing the implications of today in the Middle East. It is incredible. If I upset you a bit today, I do apologise. I'm just trying to tell it as I see it. You may have a different view than me. That is fine. 
feel free to comment. Feel free to say, oh, I disagree with you, Paul. <laughs> I think you're way off. Um, but let, just let's have a let's keep our comments courteous and friendly because um, we can we can still disagree and we can actually we may not. We may find that we're actually helping each other to see another aspect of things that we've not seen. So here we go. Now, Sarai, um, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And it's possible that Hagar was given to them by Pharaoh after um, Abraham and Sarai's brief stay in Egypt, which went slightly wrong. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. This is a classic, classic story. It's got all the things that anyone who's been married any amount of time will identify some of these themes, right? So Sarai is frustrated She's now, it's not always the woman, let me just say, who's frustrated with God, but she is frustrated with God. God has made these promises to them, and yet now he seems to be preventing her from actually getting hold of the promise. And so she's thinking, there's something wrong. It's like, kind of, is you know, you're kind of like, Ugh! there's something wrong with the machinery. There's something wrong somewhere in it all. Maybe it's me. Get me out of the equation and things will be okay. And so she starts to, <coughs> I can imagine when she comes up with this plan, she voiced it more than once. <laughs> I can't imagine this was just a one-off little kind of passing thought. Mm, maybe you could sleep with our servant. That would be a good idea. I'm sure she kind of came on to Abraham again and again, and maybe Abraham was not unwilling. Who knows? We're not, we weren't there. But this is this scenario where one of us is frustrated with God and we somehow perceive and develop this idea that God is holding out on us and it must be because God is annoyed with us or something. And that is false theology that will get us into trouble. <coughs> Excuse me. And it certainly got these two into trouble. These three ended up being five. But let's just follow the story through. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So it's God's fault. Let's just get this really clear. God's the one at fault. God has prevented me. And go into my servant. That means have sex with my servant. This was a kind of like, it seems to be a culturally acceptable thing back then in those days. But actually... Regardless of the culture, we are supposed to be, we who are called by God are supposed to be above the culture. We're supposed to be shaping the culture according to the kingdom values, not just going along with it and saying, oh, well, they do it. That is such a morally bankrupt justification for doing anything. It's like your kids come to you and say, I need to do this. Why? Well, so-and-so, you know, and I need that. Why do you need it? Well, all my friends have got all that whole kind of logic. And so going on around Abraham would no doubt have been all kinds of polygamous arrangements and so on with multiple wives and concubines and what have you. But Abraham was different. God had called him to, to um, father a nation. God, <laughs> and let me just say this as well. If you are a person of promise, a man or a woman that God has made promises to, your sin will have more implications, generally speaking, than the sin of an unbeliever. 
It's just like that because what happens is the promises of God start to operate on the consequences of our sin as well, as we'll see as we go on through the story. So the fact that Abraham was called to father nations, he was just going to do that. It didn't matter who he was currently lying with. He was going to produce nations because God had promised it to him. Right. That was his destiny. Now, I don't know if that's upset anyone yet, but it's kind of a bit of a thing. We should be aware that we who are called by God, men and women, regardless, we don't get to get away with stuff like unbelievers do. Our sin has far reaching consequences into. Oh, my word. Anyway, here we go. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. He must, he, she, I could imagine she made it fairly persuasive and she kept on to him and saying, come on, Abraham, come on, do this. Look, this is our only chance. And in the end, or maybe fairly quickly, Abraham does. Verse eight is, uh, sorry, three, it says, so after Abraham had lived in, t lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife and he went into Hagar and she conceived oh this is a euphemism went into that means you know what I mean okay so um he yes and she conceived now this right here is a massive problem if she'd have not conceived everyone would have known Abram was infertile he was not able to produce um, I don't know, the right kind of energetic sperm that do the job. And so suddenly she's now pregnant and is all the fingers are pointing to Sarai. Now, remember, Abraham has got a big household, a lot of people in his household. And everyone would have been talking, wouldn't they? You can't keep something like that quiet. Oh, <laughs> oh, Hagar's pregnant. Oh, wow. Do you know what I heard? And I'm sure Hagar didn't make it a secret either. <coughs> and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Now, the moment Abraham took her into his bed, she became a rival. You cannot have a sexual relationship with someone other than your spouse, without them becoming a rival, and without the spouse considering them a rival, and without them feeling like a rival, and without your heart being divided. God's intention is that we would be with one uh, spouse for the rest of our lives, and that we would become one flesh with them, and that's how it would be. Now, if we introduce anyone else into that equation as a sexual partner, that, that covenant of exclusivity forsaking all others we say don't we at the, at the church when we get married to cleave only to you as long as we both shall live that is a beautiful promise to cling to you you're the one I'm going to cling to is intimacy is love making it's the whole thing you're the one that's going to happen with for me as long as we both shall live I'm going to cling to you physically emotionally spiritually we're together in this for as long as we both shall live now Abraham has transgressed that hasn't he I must not spend too long on this because there's some really good points I want to pick up as we go through. And she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, you see, passive aggressive is, it's just hardly, it's just a tiny little look, isn't it? Oh, you know, oh, I'm pregnant. I'm a little stroke of the belly. 
as you walk past your mistress or a little kind of um oh <laughs> you they ram tonight then <laughs> um you know and it's like that whole oh my goodness what ammunition um they gave hagar to she was a servant she had no rights but now she's carrying the master's child i mean come on this is a this is a massive massive deal and Sarai said to Abraham, right now, Sarah's blaming Abraham. She says to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Right, okay. Abraham's thinking, hold on a minute. I just did. <laughs> I just did what you said. I just followed your great brainwave of how we could get pregnant. And now you're blaming me for doing it and you're making that me the villain in the story. Well, of course, Abraham was the villain in the story. He had used his power and authority as the master to get his servant into bed. He had entered her body without and maybe she. Yeah. How do you how does consent exist in such a relationship? She didn't have any consent to be made a slave. Where does it go back to? So, you know, come on, Abraham, you're the big guy. You should have known that that was wrong. That is wrong. Totally wrong. Just being clear, the slavery thing is bad enough. But to then presume the right to enter her body. Goodness sake. Get it together, man. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm not. I'm, what I'm trying to say is this is this is serious. This is not a this is you can't do this kind of stuff. And so uh, then she, so Sarai now is blaming Abraham, which is unfair, but she's got a point. And so she says, may the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to her, Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do with her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Now, Abraham is abdicating his responsibility. He's saying, well, Sarai, she's your servant. You can sort her out. Do with her as you please. He's basically given um, Sarai a kind of permission to abuse the slave girl. It's just appalling. It's shocking on every level. And Sarai dealt harshly with her and she and so she fled. Now, Hagar means flight. The name Hagar means flight, evidently. And at this point, she's fleeing. She's flying away from the oppressive treatment of the people who, of all people on the face of the earth, should have known better. Let me say this. Even people of promise are people. We have the same fragile psyches and emotional world. And, and I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that sometimes we because of our humanity and because we're prone to the same kind of uh, psychological pressures and traumas as everybody else, we let ourselves down and we let the call of God down and we let, let that sense of destiny down. And unfortunately, Abraham and Sarai, the pair of them, have done quite badly so far in this little story. The angel of the Lord... Hold on, here we go. Here's the plot twist. The angel of the Lord, guess what? God is above all of our shenanigans. He's watching the soap opera of our lives day by day by day and he never flicks channel. 
and he sees this thing going on. Obviously, he knew what was going to happen, but he sees what's going on and he takes action in this moment. Now, let me just say something about the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord appears multiple times in the Old Testament. He appears to Abraham later on when Abraham's Abraham. He appears to um, Gideon, Joshua, and many, many, many other great men of faith and the heroes of faith, mostly men, I would say, it seems. Um, but the angel of the Lord is seen by some to be a theophany or an early appearance of Jesus himself before he was Jesus, if you get the point, the Son, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son appearing in human form prior to his incarnation. Now that's a quite a whole load of theological possibilities right there. He is often believed that other people would say, no, no, the angel of the Lord is a messenger from God. He speaks on behalf of God, but he's a messenger from God. And, you know, what have you. We will leave it hanging because I think it's more fun if we do that rather than chase it right to ground. I got a sneaky feeling it might have been Jesus, but I think we can leave it hanging because the Bible does. The angel of the, whoopsie, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, this is a classic God question, isn't it? He knows. He doesn't have to ask. He just wants to engage with her and get her to take stock of the situation. Where have you come from? So he, he's, he's given her the answer. Hagar, servant of Sarai, where, are you, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. This is interesting, isn't it? Go back to the person who was abusing you, submit to them. But there's a promise in it all. The angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring that they so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, what has God just said to Abraham, be, you know, in the preceding um, couple of chapters or no, this both. Yeah. Chapter 15. What has God just said? He said, I'm going to I'm going to multiply your descendants and they're going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Well, <sighs> he's making the same promise. To Hagar, who is going to be the father, mother of the Arab nations. So Ishmael, who is the son who will be born, we'll, we'll come on to that in a second. He is to be the father of the Arab nations. But God is making a covenantal promise to Hagar. She is the first person who the angel of the Lord has ever appeared to in the scripture as we have it. She's a woman. She's a slave. She has no rights. She's running away from an abusive situation from people who should know better, who are called by God. It's like she's running away from church, if you like. She's out there in the middle of nowhere. She finds this spring and God shows up and starts talking to her. 
and makes her this outrageous promise. Now, if you can hear it, the promise that God makes to Hagar is a direct echo of the promise he's made to Abraham. Now, what he's not saying is this promise is exclusively yours, but he's saying, I'm going to do for, I'm going to do for you what I promised Abraham. I'm actually going to use the promise of Abraham to bless you and raise up a mighty nation from you, Hagar. This is incredible, isn't it? And it's important when we think about the Middle East that we understand this is the context of it all. This is the context of tension. This tension happened the moment Abraham took Hagar into his bed. <laughs> that's, that's true, Tim. That's a good point. The angel of the Lord didn't say God will. He said, I will. It strongly suggests that the angel of the Lord is God. Well done, Tim. Good point. So, but the point here is that the tension in the Middle East didn't start when Ishmael was born. It didn't start later down the road. It started when Abram took the law into his own hands and took Hagar into his bed. And he broke he put a wedge in between the covenant between himself and Sarai. It's really important we get this stuff. And so he says, Behold, so the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened. Now the word, the name Ishmael means the Lord has listened. Which <laughs> is a great name, isn't it? So, if you call your child Ishmael, it's a good name. Don't get upset about it. It's a good name. Ishmael, I mean, it's got issues for sure for us from a Judeo-Christian kind of standpoint. But listen, this is a promise of, this is a name of covenant. God's, God's actually saying, you shall call his name. What? Did, who else did he say that about? You shall call his name Jesus. You know, he's go right there many, many thousands of years on. The, uh, the angel appears to Mary and says, Mary, you shall call his name Jesus. So God is naming this son who everybody's upset about. The God, and God's making great and glorious promises to him as well. He's not saying from you will come the Messiah, but he is saying you will become a mighty nation. And there's the difference. And the difference between the Jewish nation and the Arab nation is that from the Jewish nation the Messiah comes and so this is the chosen branch if you like of Abraham's descendants there were others as well we can which we'll get to but they um the branch of Abraham's fruitfulness that God chose particularly to endorse was the miraculous child the child of promise and the Messiah would come through him but we will get to that. I don't want to tell you too much of the story before we get to it. Listen to this about Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Verse 12. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone. And everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. He's going to be a contentious person. Gosh. How prophetic and prescient that is. Gosh. You know. Goodness me, how contentious the Arab nation has been. Um, so he called the name of, so she, listen to this, so she called on the name of the Lord. 
who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, sorry, beg your pardon, I've misread that. So she called, verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahai Rah. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is an amazing story, isn't it? <coughs> there she is. She's running away from God, from um, the people who should have treated her much, much better. She's got no rights. She's a woman. She's a slave. She's pregnant. She's abused, mistreated. And God intercepts her with a messenger that seems to be, if we read the story of the Bible through, seems to be reserved for those special interventional moments with God's people. And it's usually a man and it's usually a man about to take some bold, decisive action. But for her, it's completely different. And yet she is about to take some bold, decisive action. And it will be pivotal for all of history. And so this young woman, God, reserves the right to come and intercept her life. Now listen to this as well. The name she calls God. It says she called the name of the Lord... Who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. And she called, the, the well became called Bir Lahoiwa, which means the God who sees me. This is so important. This slave woman, this subjugated, broken lady, abused victim of domestic violence that she never sought for, a rape victim, all of those things, she now gets the privilege of giving us a central plank of theology, the God who sees me. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, let's thank God for Hagar. Let's thank God for her courage to go back to her mistress. And let's pray for the, for the release of God's blessing on the Arab nation. Listen, we really need to understand Jesus is still appearing to Ishmael. God is still appearing to Ishmael. Day after day after day, people, Arab, Arab um, and many other Muslims are seeing visions of a man in white coming to see them and they know that it's Jesus. God, is, God still has a plan for the children of Ishmael and we need to get on board with that and start praying our heads off for God to bring intervention for those dear ones who at the moment many, many, many are lost in darkness because... The shroud of Islam has covered their minds and they can't see Jesus. So have an amazing day, you guys. And I love you. It's great to hang out with you, even when I can't hang out with anyone else. I can hang out with you guys. Woohoo! Have an amazing day. God bless you. Take care. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. 
And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.